2 Timothy 2, 1-13 You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier for Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown, except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Well, as Fatty says, it doesn't get any better than a balmy Sunday evening in Sydney when the Newcastle Knights won the 2001 Premiership. Christchurch Cathedral in Newcastle. And you can probably hear the cheers of the crowd down here at the foreshore. A very big crowd building up for the Knights Parade of 2001. Yeah, you can see the uh, crowd streaming in here. We're on that centre stage there. And it's going to be a wonderful day. A little bit of precipitation around this morning. Very heavy showers overnight, but it has cleared to an almost perfect day here at the foreshore in Newcastle. And aren't Newcastle celebrating? You can see them behind me. I'm getting things thrown in the back or whatever. So we are dead set in party mode from wherever you are right throughout northern New South Wales. A big welcome to our telecast today. We'll be on air. The Knights are about to leave Marathon Stadium. We're going to show you the route they're actually going to take. The full-time hooter brought tears of joy to some and sent others into a spin, while many just couldn't stop screaming. They were scenes repeated at countless parties across the Hunter Valley as the players performed a lap of honour at Stadium Australia. It was a win that brought both sides of politics together. Following the game, Newcastle fans took to the streets, lining the route back to Marathon Stadium. Thousands stood roadside to cheer their grand final heroes. Wow. Doesn't that bring back memories? The Knights' glorious premiership in 2001, although I realise this week almost nobody in this room is going to remember it because if you're part of uni church or youth, you're too young and if you're part of AM, you're too old to remember that now. This is... <laughs> but in 2001, 100,000 people lined the foreshore to welcome the Knights home. That was one in three Novocastrians who turned up. And the excitement was just incredible. The jubilation, the, the mood in the city actually changed for about a month. People just seemed euphoric for weeks. So as you walk past people on the street, people were smiling at each other. 
People were talking it to people at the cafe table next to them. For about a month, we rode this incredible high because our knights had won. We had won the premiership, which is kind of weird, isn't it? It's funny the way we talk about that. The fact is that we hadn't actually won anything. Out of the 100,000 people who lined the foreshore, only 13 of them had actually been on the field that night, but it didn't matter. We had won. Because our knights had won, our team had won, and so in some way, we had won the premiership. Supporting a team is like that, isn't it? When you support a team, their their glory is your glory. We share in it all and we soak it up. You know, that just gives us the faintest, faintest glimpse of our future with Jesus. I want you to hold on to that image of 100,000 Bogan Novocastrians in at the foreshore. Because we're going to see something even grander a little bit later on with us and Jesus. But before we get there, today is a great day, isn't it? Our whole family is together. I was saying to Dan as he walked, I had goosebumps during that last song, having everyone just kind of singing together. Here is something unusual, though. Put up your hand if you were at the site visit last week. There were more of us in that room than there are here now. Does that surprise you? That room, it looks kind of small, but it swallowed more people than are actually here now. Because remember, there's a whole bunch of us going to gather after lunch as well. But we've got people from Lake Mac and Uni Church are here and AM and PM. The whole family is together, and I love that. And today is the culmination of three weeks getting excited about our building. And yet, if you've been here at all, we've seen time and time again, what makes the building exciting is not the building itself. It's how the building is going to serve our passions. How does the building help us to be a kind of people who pass the gospel on, not just to the next generation, but the generation after that? We want to be Christians who are thinking three generations into the future. How does the building help us to do that? How does the building help us to reach Newey and Lake Mac? It puts us right in the center of, anyone, of everyone. Now, here is something great that uh, Dave Moore told me this week. The site visit we did last week, we were all there. A lady saw all of our cars coming in and out. And she came in off the street to find out what was going on. And she was like, I just saw all these cars in there. And I figured something cool must have been happening. <laughs> what a letdown, right? But she said, are you guys going to be here tomorrow? How cool is that? We were like, no, don't come back tomorrow. <laughs> That's a glimpse of our future. But today's the most exciting day. Today, I am barely going to mention the building at all. What we're talking about is the thing we're most excited about, the thing we're most pumped about. It's what we want for Jesus. And this is what really makes us tick as a church. What do we want for our beloved King? And Paul captures it beautifully in that little poem in 2 Timothy 2. He says, here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now, Paul says that's a trustworthy saying, which might mean he actually got it from somewhere else. See, one of the cool things about the Bible is God actually uses bits and pieces from other places and turns them into his divine word. So you might know it, but there are Proverbs in the book of Proverbs that actually come from other cultures. 
Paul uses sayings from other cultures in his letters. Philippians 2, that thing about Jesus who being in very nature God and so on, may have been a hymn that Paul just pinched and put into the Philippians. I actually think it's kind of cool that God is happy to take human words and then incorporate them into his divine word. And so this trustworthy saying may have already existed, but it makes a wonderful promise to us. So have a look in verse 12. If you are a Christian, you are going to reign with Jesus. So remember last week, what we saw is that Jesus reigns. The Christian gospel is, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. And all of that, really, what we saw last week was just a way of saying Jesus reigns. Jesus is the risen son of David who was promised in 2 Samuel 7. He'll reign forever because God's raised him from the dead. In fact, this is, I think, one of the most amazing things about Christianity is, right now, as a human being, Jesus is reigning in heaven at God's right hand. Look what Peter says in Acts 2. He says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, He's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, or Christ. See, right at this minute, this morning, Jesus is sitting in heaven at God's right hand, and He is reigning. He already rules the whole universe. And you know, as a church, that's something that we have clung to our entire life. We have felt Jesus looking after us from heaven. I've been our pastor now for 22 years, and boy, have I felt it for 22 years. Big Sunday is actually a really great day for looking back at the past. And if you've only recently come to our church, you mightn't realize how small and vulnerable our church has been for actually most of its life. When you come, you see lots of ministries, and you see lots of teams, and lots of leaders, and lots of staff, lots of staff, a healthy budget... Hopefully sooner building, Hunter Bible Church could look like it's fairly strong and secure. But for, mo- for much of our church life, you would never have called us strong or secure. In 2000, I can, only, I can only speak from 2000 onwards. In 2000, there were about 25 of us. And we were all young, apart from Neil. And we were all clueless. <laughs> we were all clueless, including Neil. <laughs> I was 27. At the time, I had never pastored a church. I was clueless. And we had no money in the bank. We had no assets, except a photocopier that usually jammed. It really did feel, at that moment, like at any moment, we could fold. And yet, for 22 years, Jesus has just kept looking after us. He's given us all these places to meet. When money was tight, He gave us more money. He's brought all these wonderful people to us. When we have been at our most vulnerable... Jesus has been our Lord in heaven. Now, of course, the danger now is forgetting how vulnerable we still are, right? This could all fall apart in a moment. Churches do, all the time. All it takes is the moral failure of a leader, 
All it takes is a financial scandal or false teaching or schism. We're just as reliant on Jesus as we've ever been. Don't be fooled by the numbers. But you know, Acts 2.35, Peter says something really important. He says that Jesus' final rule hasn't been established yet. Yes, Jesus is sitting at God's right hand, but verse 35, his enemies have not yet made a footstool for his feet. There is still rebellion in human hearts and lives. And so we're still waiting for Jesus to come back and establish his final reign. And of all the things we're looking forward to, of all the things we are passionate about, that is our great hope as a church. The day Jesus comes back in glory. You see, our great hope is not a building. It never was. Actually, our great hope is the day that the building will become obsolete. Because the great hope is the day that Jesus comes back and destroys the building and destroys this creation and establishes a new one. That's our great hope. So have a look at what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians about the day we're looking forward to. He says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he'll punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of our Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who believed. And this includes you, because you have believed our message. Do you see the day we're looking forward to? It's not the day we open our building. It's the day the building becomes obsolete. It's the day that Jesus is revealed from heaven with blazing fire. In verse 10, we marvel at him and we glory in him and we rejoice and we shout. That's the day we're looking forward to. Think, think the night celebration. 100,000 people in town going bonkers. But this won't be 100,000 people, this will be a countless number of people around the globe, joyfully welcoming our Lord Jesus back. And when I think about that day, I can't wait. I mean, so often I don't think about it, so often I'm distracted by it. But when I stop and think about that day, when Jesus comes back in glory, I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to be there and have my heart filled with joy and to jump jump up and down with excitement. And I want Emma to be there with me, next to me. And I want my kids to be there next to me. And I want all of us to be there. And this is the thing that actually most enthuses me about telling my friends about Jesus. I want them there too. All my friends who I love from swimming and places like that, I want them there with me. You see, our greatest hope is not a building. Never was. It's Jesus' glory. And the great promise is, you will share it. Just take another look at our passage in 2 Timothy 2.11. He says, here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. See, Christians don't just look forward to Jesus' reign, we look forward to sharing in Jesus' reign. If you're a Christian, you won't just go to heaven. You're going to reign in heaven with Jesus. Paul says the same thing in Romans. He says, now, if we are children, then we're heirs. 
heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So he says, we're children. We're actually co-heirs with Jesus. And our big brother is going to share his glory with us. Now, what will that look like? What will it look like for us to reign in heaven? It's actually hard to pin down. The Bible doesn't necessarily talk much about it. But one thing you might never have realized is you will judge with Jesus. Here's a passage from 1 Corinthians 6 that we're going to reach in a couple of years' time. Paul says, if any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Isn't that amazing? The Corinthians were taking each other to civil court. And Paul says, why are you letting the world judge you? You're going to judge them. In fact, you're going to judge angels. Isn't that amazing? Part of our reign with Jesus will actually be that we share the judging. To be honest, I imagine in the long term, our role will look a lot like the Garden of Eden did. Remember, Adam ruled the Garden of Eden. We're going to rule the new creation with Jesus. We'll plant things. And instead of them dying, they'll grow. There won't be weeds. There won't be diseases. There won't be famines. There won't be death or sickness. We'll share Jesus' rule. Again, wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing to share Jesus' rule? That's our passion. Not a building. The building is part of this world that we're going to leave behind. The building will never be anything more than a tool, an instrument designed to get us to the next world. And that's where it is useful, to help get us to the next world. The building could only ever be useful if it doesn't be a goal, but if it's actually a tool or an instrument to get us to the world where Jesus reigns. Because Paul says, before we share in Jesus' glory, we actually have to die and endure. So look in verse 11 again. He says, here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Do you see the condition Paul puts there? Before we live in the new creation and before we reign with Jesus in the new creation... We have to die and endure. In other words, we have to follow in our Lord's footsteps. If we died with Him, we'll live. If we endure, we'll reign. So what does Paul mean by that? What does Paul mean by, if we died with Jesus? Well, he uses the past tense, but to be honest, that doesn't help us much. Tense in Greek isn't a very big thing. I think Paul could mean three things when he says, we die with Jesus. He could mean, if we die to sin, we'll live with Jesus. Because Christians do die to sin, don't we? In Romans 6, God's Word says, What shall we say? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the the body ruled by sin might be done away with. And that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anybody who has died has been set free from sin. See, there the idea is Christians have actually died to sin. 
our old self, that part of us that rebelled against God, that just habitually did the wrong thing, that part died with Jesus on the cross. And so, if you're a Christian, you're a new person, you're actually born again. So, the world sees Christianity as just a bunch of ideas contained in a book or an institution like the church or a building that they drive past. That's how the world sees Christianity. We know Christianity is something profoundly spiritual. We know Christianity is a relationship with our Creator God, where by the Holy Spirit we die to our sin. We die to the person we used to be and we live again as different people. And that's something I love about our church. We do see people dying to sin and being born again every week, don't we? We see this all the time. We see people becoming Christians and then living real, genuine, changed, transformed Christian lives that only the Holy Spirit can make. We hear so many great stories where people say, I used to be this kind of person, I used to live this kind of life, I used to follow these kinds of desires, but Jesus has made me new, Jesus has given me new life. I love that. It could mean that when Paul says, if we die, he means if we die to sin with Jesus, we'll live with Him. Or it could also mean if we literally die. Because Paul does talk a lot about suffering in 2 Timothy, doesn't he? Back in chapter 1, he said, so don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. In chapter 2, he said, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. It could mean that when Paul says, if we die with Jesus... He actually means literally dying through persecution. Or, option number three, he could mean dying to ourselves in service of Jesus. Because remember chapter four, Paul said, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and at the time for my departure is near, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. See, Paul says he's poured out his life for Jesus. He's died to himself, to his own ambitions, to his own desires, to his own hopes and dreams. He's given everything for Jesus. And again, that's the kind of church we want to be, isn't it? We want to be a people who say, I'm not about my own dreams anymore. I'm not about my own hopes and ambitions. I'm not about my own success or fulfillment. I'm not about my own comfort. I've died to myself. I live for Jesus. So Paul says, if we died with him, we'll also live with him. He could mean died to sin. He could mean died literally. Or he could mean died to self. I don't actually know. I went through all three because I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I think he could mean all three. The one thing we do know is, Paul is saying, life on this side is hard. Life this side of heaven is hard. It's dying. If we're to share with Jesus' life in the next world, it will mean death in this world. It'll mean death to sin, death to ourselves, death to the world. It is hard to be a Christian in this world, is what Paul's saying. It takes endurance. 
Verse 12, he says, if we endure, we'll reign with him. That is for us to make it to the next world is going to be hard work. We're going to have to endure. Dying to sin isn't something I do once. I do it every day. Standing against the world isn't something I do once. We do it for years on end. Saying no to ourselves, dying to ourselves, we don't just do it once. Jesus says to take up our cross daily. You see, our future is to reign in life and glory with Jesus, but our present, Paul says, that's hard. That's death. That's endurance. And that is where a building can help. We won't need the building in the next world. But in this world of death and endurance, well, that's actually when a building can come in handy. It'll be a place where we can learn the Bible. It'll be a place to teach the gospel, to hand it on to our kids. A place where other people can come and hear about Jesus. Like Dave was talking about from down at the lake, a place where we actually, it can't be taken away from us. The building will never be our hope. But I pray it will serve our hope. I can't wait, actually, to see how Jesus uses it. I hope that in the generations to come, we'll go, you know, that was just the best investment ever. What a price that we paid. Because God will use it to glorify Jesus. But, you know, here's the tricky bit of this passage. Whether or not we die and endure with Jesus, and whether or not we remain faithful, Jesus will glorify himself with or without us. Paul's next words are kind of comforting, but they're also pretty disconcerting. Because what he says is, even if we don't continue to own Jesus as Lord, he will. So have a look in verse 11 again. He says, here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. And that bit all sounds really fantastic. But then Paul goes on and says, if we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he'll remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now, those words are kind of a worry, aren't they? We're just not sure what to make of them. For a start, they talk about us disowning Jesus and being faithful to Jesus, and I don't really want to be thinking about that. But then it also talks about Jesus disowning us. If we disown him, he'll disown us. And what's Paul saying there? It almost sounds like tit for tat, doesn't it? If we disown Jesus, he's going to get us back by disowning us. Is Jesus really that petty? No. I think Paul is saying, Jesus is determined to glorify himself, regardless of whether we do it. You see, what's our temptation in this world? Our temptation in this world is to disown Jesus as the Christ, isn't it? to be faithless, because we've seen owning Jesus is hard. Being a Christian on this side of the world means dying to sin and to ourselves and sometimes even at the hands of the world. And our temptation throughout life is going to be to say, actually, you know, I don't think Jesus is the son of David after all. I don't think Jesus really is the king after all. He's not my God anymore. Jesus talks about this kind of person in the parable of the sower, doesn't he? He says, others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. 
but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the Word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the Word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the Word, making it unfruitful. See, Jesus actually said that there would be people who don't endure. They walk away. They end up disowning Him. In fact, you could do it as a church as well. It's not just individuals. Churches could do it. As a church, the temptation in the next two to three generations is going to be that we stop preaching the uniqueness of Jesus. That Jesus isn't the king. He's just another amongst the wise men. We could stop teaching about Jesus' judgment. That Jesus one day will come back in blazing fire. We could start to disown 2 Thessalonians 1. We could stop teaching Jesus' words about things like marriage and gender and so on. Churches do that all the time. They stop preaching Christianity and they start preaching Nicianity. And what will Jesus do then? What will Jesus do if as individuals or as a church, we say, actually, Jesus isn't the Christ, the Son of David? He will stay true to his gospel. He'll say, that church that denies me, that person who denies me, they're wrong. They're faithless. I disowned them because I am the true son of David. And Jesus will remain faithful to his message because the one thing Jesus can't do is deny himself. The one thing Jesus can't do is deny that he's the Christ, the son of David who's risen from the dead. Jesus won't indulge in some kind of petty payback, but he will keep preaching the gospel. He will keep owning the gospel even if we stop. See, this last part of this trustworthy saying, it actually shows us something that we have to really cling to as a church. And that is that Jesus' glory is more important than anything else in the universe. Jesus' glory as the risen Son of David is more important than anything in the universe, even our church. Yes, Jesus wants us to share his reign with him. Yes, he wants us to be in the new creation with him. But if we deny him, he'll still go on and glorify himself. If every Christian ever turns their back on Jesus, he will still glorify himself. Jesus does not need us. In grace, he shares his kingdom with us. But he doesn't need us. He'll glorify himself if we don't. Now, I think that is the most wonderful, liberating truth. Because, you see, we long to be faithful to Jesus as a church. We long to hand the gospel on to the next generation and the next generation after that. And we long to reach Newey and Lake Mac for Jesus. But it's really comforting to know that even if we don't, even if our children walk away or our grandchildren walk away, Jesus won't. He won't fail. He won't disown himself. He'll just keep preaching the gospel and raising up Christians to do it. He'll declare us faithful, but he'll do the glorifying of himself because he cannot deny himself. See, my prayer is that in a hundred years, Hunter Bible Church will be more faithful, more godly, more clear-sighted, more God-honouring, more evangelistic, more healthy than we have ever been. 
My prayer is that we'll hand the gospel on to our children and to their children and every generation will get clearer and clearer and more and more passionate and love Jesus more. I pray for that. I pray that Jesus will use our church and I pray that He'll prosper us and I pray that God will use us to save 30,000 people in Newey and Lake Mac. I pray that God will use our church to transform lives and I pray that the building will actually help all of that. But I'm not at all worried about the future. Because Jesus isn't just more important than a building. He's more important than our church. And even if we prove faithless, He'll be faithful. He'll raise up other churches, other servants, other buildings. And I tell you what, that is so sobering and so humbling but also so inspiring. Jesus, glorify yourself, even if we fail. Let's pray. Our great God, we praise you that we are not at the centre of the universe. We praise you that we're not even at the centre of your plans but that Jesus is. And we praise you that we will one day reign with him, that having made it through this life, having died to sin, died to self, perhaps even died in persecution, we praise you that we will live and reign with him. But we praise you that Jesus' reign is more important than ours, and that even if we prove faithless, he will continue to reign. He'll continue to own the gospel. And we pray for our church. We pray that in 50, 100 years, if Jesus hasn't come back, that our church will be more clear-sighted, more in love with you, more faithful, more knowledgeable, more godly than the generation that we are today. We pray that the gospel will be handed on and we pray that you'll use our church to have an enormous impact on this city. But we pray that whatever happens, Jesus would do that. We pray that whatever happens, Jesus would bring glory to himself, for that's the most important thing. Amen.